When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mailbag. Welcome to another edition of the Nothing Personal with David Sampson Mailbag episode. Yes, I'm right now somewhere in Africa, and you're still listening because you follow this podcast on Apple or Spotify, and you hit follow. You're a subscriber, whatever it is you do. Maybe on YouTube, Nothing Personal with David Sampson. Maybe if you're really paying attention, you'll know what day I actually recorded this. But in any scenario, while I'm in Africa, you go on Twitter, David P. Sampson, Instagram. You'll see some videos, some cool stuff. And we're going to have a bunch of great, interesting mailbag episodes because it's you. You have questions for me. And I get to some of them on Twitter at David P. Sampson. You leave them when you do a review on Apple. And then we answer them, sometimes on a dedicated show. And we got to start. We have a full, full day today, maybe, if Coca doesn't cut me off. Number one. Hi, David. I love that. I know I say that every time, but just pay attention. Hi, hello, hola. Don't mind any of it. How do organizations deal with the situation of a big league call-up of a top prospect? So this sounds like a very technical question, but it's not. I want to discuss exactly what the mindset is for an organization because this year there was a collective bargaining negotiation that we detailed on Nothing Personal. And one of the things that mattered most to the players in theory, not really true, but what they said mattered the most to the players was getting younger players paid more money earlier in their career and no more service time manipulation. Service time manipulation is when you call up a player who has been ready for some time but you delay the call up to the big leagues because you do not want that player to reach arbitration any earlier than he absolutely has to. And you don't want that player to reach free agency any earlier than he has to. So let's review and define terms. When you are in the big leagues, whether on the injured list or on the active roster, for every day you're in the big leagues or on the active roster, you get one day of service time. If you are on for an entire year, let's call the year 185 days. If you are 185 days on the roster or injured list, you get one year of service. If you do it again, you get two years. If you do it again, you get three years. Those first three years, you are paid the major league minimum or any amount above the minimum that the team wants to pay you. But it is all up to the team. There's certain rules in the new collective bargaining agreement, like if you are a rookie of the year or a Cy Young candidate or an MVP candidate, that you get a guaranteed raise. But basically, your salary is capped. Yes, for those agents listening, that's a salary cap for young players. 
after your third year of service, you enter something called arbitration. Arbitration is what you're reading about and what you read about when players like Aaron judges arbitration, when the team wants to pay the player a certain amount, the player wants to get a higher amount. And if they don't come to an agreement, which differs from the first three years, when you don't need an agreement, it's up to the team. But the second three years, you have to have agreement between the player and the team. The player can't play on another team, but the player has to agree to a salary. If the player does not agree to a salary, you go before three arbitrators and you plead your case, you submit five million, the player submits seven million, and then the arbitrator chooses either five or seven. No in between. So that's what happens in arbitration, and that's three years of arbitration. Then, in the seventh year, you're a free agent. It is, that's it. Go whatever team you want. Doesn't matter. So how do you manipulate service time? You manipulate service time by making sure that a player does not get a full year of service the first year the player is in the big leagues. Huh? If you call up a player after June 20th, that player, when the season ends in September, will have, let's say, 100 days of service. That's not a full year. Remember I said you need 185? Therefore, they play that season at the minimum, the next season at the minimum, the next season at the minimum, the next season at the minimum. Wait a minute, that's now three and a half seasons. You're damn right it is. That's why you manipulate the service time. You live without that player until June 20th. So basically two and a half months. You live without that player, your top prospect we're talking about, and then you bring them up, you are saving yourself a ton of money. Remember the math here. Do not let Scott Boris or any other agents explain to you the math because they're gonna mislead you. Here's how it works. And I'm gonna get out my trusty, nothing personal pad of paper right here. If you're on YouTube, you know what I'm, this is a real pad of paper. Look, nothing personal with David Sampson. Year one, let's say the minimum, just for math purposes, is 500 grand. Year two, 500 grand. Year three, 500 grand. Now we have arbitration for three years. Let's say that you're a really good player, like a Miguel Cabrera, or a Bobby Witt Jr. in Kansas City, or a Fernando Tatis, who doesn't count because he signed a long-term deal, which means all bets are off. If you sign a long-term deal as a young player, that gives you guaranteed money. You're not in arbitration. You're not in anything. You have guaranteed money. That was the same thing as you being a free agent. The fourth year, if you are a good player, let's pretend that you get, and I'm talking about a really good player, $7 million. Then you perform really well in year four because if you stink and are hurt, then you're gonna make the same 7 million. But let's pretend that you're still not just a top prospect, you're not a prospect anymore in year four in the league, you are a performing major league player and you are phenomenal. You're gonna to go to 12 million. Then let's say you have a good fifth year. The last year of arbitration is year six. That year, you're actually allowed to compare yourself to what free agents make, which is why you read the, about these guys like Mookie Betts in arbitration. What did he get, Coca? Like 21 or 22 or $23 million, some unbelievably high amount because he had an MVP, he had a World Series ring, because those type of accomplishments matter. But just for purposes of our math, let's say that this top prospect of yours in your organization, who's now a perennial all-star, makes $20 million 
okay? Look at my board. Mookie got 27. 500,000 for three years. Are you looking? That's 1.5 million. Then he makes 7, 12, and 20. That's 39 million. That is $40.5 million of total earnings before that player becomes a free agent. Now, what happens if by chance, just by chance, Coca, people will not be confused by this, but I want to give them an amount of detail that I didn't give before. So we can just keep rolling through this because it's actually important for people to understand. When you call up a player on June 20th, it's true that player makes money that first year. That player won't make $500,000 because he hasn't played a full year. So let's pretend he plays half the year. He'll make the pro rata of $500,000, which is $250,000. So that I count as year zero. So in fact, the player's making $40.75 million for the first six years. If you look on the paper, year zero is that first stub year where you're only playing a little bit of June and then July, August, September. Now, what happens when you call someone up? Wait for it. Ready? Sometime in April or May, and it's a star player. Let's go ahead and do the math on that, if you will. You call him up in April and May, guess what happens? By the end of the first year, that player has the equivalent of a year in service time. Because there's a little rule change that we read about with this collective bargain agreement that's existed for 20 years. You may have read about it, it's called a Super 2. A Super 2 is a player who gets to have a fourth year of arbitration. We're gonna see why that matters. So the first year, the player plays now because he was called up in May. He's really playing four months, let's say two-thirds of the year. So let's say the salary is 500 grand, the minimum. Two-thirds of 500 grand, right? Just call it 300 grand, just for easy math. Then he plays one year at the minimum. Then the second year at the minimum. Uh-oh, the third year. He's eligible for arbitration as a super two. That means he gets the 7 million in year three. Then he gets the 12 million in year four. Then he gets the 20 million in year five. Then he gets the 27 million in year six. Are you following? Look at the paper on YouTube. Let's add it up. 47 and 12 is 59. 59 and 7 is 66. 66 and 1 is 67. 67.3. Let me see here. Under the first scenario, when you call up a player on June 20th, in their first six years in the big leagues, plus that little stub of a year, they make $40.75 million. If you call them up before June 20th and have that little that stub year the first year, they make 67.3 million. That's a difference of almost $27 million of earnings because he got an extra year of arbitration. That fourth year of arbitration is the single most sought after accomplishment for a young player. That is why the union negotiated so hard to get players called up earlier so they would get to arbitration earlier and they'd get to free agency earlier. So when you have a top prospect, why would you ever start the season with that prospect on your team? David, 
Don't be ridiculous. Your job is to put the best team on the field. For when? This year? What about next year? What about the year after? And the year after? Year six comes pretty quickly. Year three comes pretty quickly, even quicker. So let me see when I'm building a team in year three of my top prospect, and I've got to pay him $7 million instead of 500 grand. That means I've got $6.5 million that can go to another player, a different free agent, another pitcher, and I still have a top prospect who now is an unbelievably good all-star caliber player still playing for close to the minimum. For all of you who are fans of either middle market or low revenue teams, frankly, anyone who's not the Cubs and even the Cubs manipulated for Chris Bryant, but the Cubs, the Red Sox, the Dodgers, the Yankees, the Mets. I wouldn't even put the Phillies in there, but you could. I wouldn't put the Giants in there, but you could. Let's even pretend that we get to 10 teams, which we can't. If you're a fan of the other 20 teams, you are rooting against your top prospect being called up. Let's talk to you, Kansas City Royal fans. I just did a show. I think I did a radio show in Kansas City maybe a month ago or something. And we were talking about their team and what went wrong. Maybe that was Seattle. No, was that Cleveland? Anyway, it doesn't matter. And we were talking about how exciting it was when Bobby Witt was called up to start the season and what a great season he's having so far. And all the Royal fans are so happy because they've got an owner who's all in. He's excited. Meanwhile, their team stinks. They're wasting a minimum year of Bobby Witt for no reason. The Kansas City Royals were never going to be good in 2022. Why in the name of Holy Heineken would you call up your top prospect? Now, the collective bargaining agreement dealt with that by saying, if you don't call up your top prospect and you call him up in June and he then wins rookie of the year, it's going to be as though you called him up in April. So you might as well call him up in April. Huh? Forget it. You think that I'm going to change my behavior and call up a young player earlier because there's a chance he's going to win Rookie of the Year or top three in Cy Young or MVP or top three in Rookie of the Year, and he's going to have to be given a full year of service time even when he didn't deserve a full year of service time? I'm not betting on that. I'm betting on him having a good, fine year. And if he wins Rookie of the Year, I'll give him his year of service time. Here's another little secret that teams do with their top prospects. Do you know when you call up a top prospect, if you call them up early and they're going to be eligible for arbitration, do you know that before they're eligible for arbitration, you can send them down to the minors as long as they have options, which they do. Let's just say that you can option a player for four separate years down to the minor leagues. Do you know that if you send a player down in the middle of the year for a month and a half, it's the same thing as keeping them in the minor leagues for the first month and a half of the season? or you send him down for two and a half months, which would be the equivalent of April, May, and into June 20th, you could just send him down on June 20th and keep him down the rest of the year and then bring him back in September. It doesn't matter which days the player is in the minor leagues. It just matters the player is in the minor leagues. The danger, the reason I didn't like doing that, and we did it with Marcelo Zuna, but the reason I don't like doing it is once a player's in the big leagues, if that player performs, you can't send him down because then you're going to get a grievance and you're going to lose the grievance from the union because the union will say, what are you doing? You can't send down a guy. You're obviously doing it for service time manipulation, which is a violation of the CBA. 
Spoiler alert, not this year's CBA. Every CBA I ever worked under since 1999, optioning a player for the sole purpose of service time manipulation or holding them back from achieving service time is to be deemed an illegal option, and that player will be granted the service time as though he had been on the major league roster. His service time will be restored. Therefore, you wait for a slumper. You're looking around. Oh, he's 0 for 12. Remember Jared Kelnick, all you Mariners fans? Yeah, 0 for 20. See ya. Sending him down. So you wait for a little slump. You wait for a few errors because then you put a note in the player development file. We sent down... Jane Doe, because of the following 20-game stretch where he hit 185 with two extra base hits, and he was slumping in the clubhouse, and I mean like body slumping, not just on-field slumping. So we sent him down to get right. And then the union will say, but in AAA, he hit 520 with 89 home runs and 276 RBI. Why didn't you call him up again? Yeah, we felt he needed to work on some things. The union's not going to win that grievance. If you send it down a player after they've been on the major league team and they get wind that they're going to be sent down, sometimes they'll fake an injury. So when we're sending down somebody, the GM, this is not even part of your question, but I just want to tell you, do you know that the GM and the president decide who's going to be sent down? The GM will tell the president mostly, but sometimes the president hears from the owner and says, we got to get rid of this guy. So the president says to the GM, we got to get rid of this guy. The GM says to his head of player development, hey, we're getting rid of this guy. We got to bring someone else up. We keep it to a very small group of people because if you have a leak in your organization and the player or the agent gets wind that they're going to be sent down, oh my God, my shoulder, my hammy, my pectoral, my gluteus maximus. What's the name of that character you like in uh, Gladiator, Coca? Maximus Rexus? T-Rone Maximus? The guy with the, uh, not Julius Caesar, the guy with the gray hair. It's like a bowl cut. Anyway, Maximus, are you there? Coca's gone. Coca, wake up. All right, whatever. He's in the, he's in the bathroom. Do you know that the way we do the show now, I don't even know when Coca uses the restroom because... When we were in studio, I could sort of see him in the control room. Now, I can only hear him, not watching him. Anyway, so players say, I'm hurt, and there's a rule. You cannot option a player who's hurt. And then we say, you're not hurt. You never even went to the training room because we keep logs. One set of logbooks, San Diego, not two. We keep a set of books with everyone who steps in the training room. You want a Tylenol. You want a Gaviscon. You want anything. You are going to be in a logbook. You have a little pain in your gonectogazoint. We're going to write it down. But if you've never been in the training room and some players don't like going in there, guess what happens? You can't say you're hurt. So the answer is how, how organizations deal with their pro top prospects. It's got to be money related, but sometimes owners and GMs succumb to public desire. That's a mistake. We just did the math for you. Bonjour, David. Bonjour. Listening from Hong Kong. Hell yeah. I first heard of your podcast from your appearances on Toronto radio. The word of the day for me is likability. I'm curious as to your thoughts on its importance or not in sports, business, and life. When you ran a team, did you care how likable players were? Did it matter to team chem chemistry or team marketing? 
Did you care about being liked? As an on-air personality now, have you had the cause to think about likability more or less than in your previous roles? That is a great question from Hong Kong. Thank you. Let's talk about this because it's a topic that gets across my desk pretty often. And I've told you some stories about players that were not liked in the clubhouse by their teammates or by me. Sometimes they were the same players. Sometimes they were different players. We've talked about that winning gives chemistry. Losing hurts chemistry. But you're asking a slightly different question. How important is it to the success of a team that an individual player is liked? And the answer is zero. There is no correlation between the amount of likability and the amount of victories in a team sport like baseball. I've given you the example of Barry Bonds on the Giants, Jeff Kent on the Giants. They never won a ring, but they came close. I've talked about Hanley Ramirez. I've talked about Pudge Rodriguez. I've talked about players who were not particularly liked, but their teams were incredibly successful. Is there an example of a player who can be so disliked that it would cause the team to not play well and implode? Interesting. For a role player, yeah. For a performing starter, no. I've had teams where there were players who were not liked who were role players, bench players, and we would just release them because it wasn't worth it. They were not adding enough to the team. And the other players would come up to us and say, you've got to get this guy out of here. And we would decide, is it worth it, right? We don't want to empower the players too much, but frankly, the team's not playing great. He's not adding anything. He's a bench player who's playing once a week at most. So frankly, get rid of him. But I've never, ever in my career had a player come up to me and say, get rid of a performing player because I don't like him. Not one time. What about in business? Does it matter? This is interesting. If you're in the sales business, you either better have great likability or your product better kick some serious tuchus. Most people don't like buying things from salespeople they don't like. That's why salespeople are salespeople. They know how to charm. They know how to talk. They know how to pretend they're interested in what you have to say. They know how to listen and then ask probing questions that get you to talk. They know the difference when you ask buying type questions or they know how to deal with the objections to what they are selling. It's too much. It doesn't work at night. It doesn't work during the day. Whatever objections that you have to the product that someone is trying to sell you, a true salesperson knows how to get past those objections and get you into the buying mode. Part of that is the likability factor because people I have found are far, far more apt to be taken advantage of when they like the person who's taking advantage of them. God, that sounds so Machiavellian, doesn't it? It's terrible to say that, but it's true. Think about it in your own experience. Don't you find it easier to get one over on someone who likes you than someone who doesn't? Think about it. Just think about what you do on a, on a daily basis. When you're negotiating whatever it is you're negotiating in business, aren't you trying to be liked? Now, do you need to be liked by the people who work for you? No. Do you need to be liked by your children? No. You need to be respected. Do you need to be liked by your boss? No. You have to perform. 
So depending on where you are in the food chain of business, you either better perform, right? Or you better perform. And if you need to be liked to perform, then you better be liked. If it doesn't matter, then focus solely on the performance and what makes up that performance. How many people have jobs where likability is a factor? Let's talk about politicians. What about them? Their likability quotient. It gets measured, right? Is he a likable person? Is she a likable? Are they likable? Do you vote for people who you like? How do you decide who you like? Have you met them? It's why your local politicians go and knock on your door. Hi, my name is John Cocktoast and I'm running for city council in this district. Tell me what's bothering you. Tell me what I can do to make your life better. Hi, my name's John Cocktoastin. I just spoke to your neighbor over there. Now I'm speaking to you. Here's what we're gonna do for your complex. What do you think of that? I like it. Two votes. When you're president of the United States, running for president, running for Senate, running for statewide office, your likability is based on your commercials. Do you know that likability is not based on your political views back when the middle was actually the middle and there was a center? Now, in theory, you've got people so far left, so far right, that they're liked just for the position they have. They don't know who they are. They don't know anything about them. They just say they're hunting rhinos or they love guns or they pro-life, hate abortion, whatever the examples are. Oh, my God, I like you. I've met a lot of politicians to the right who I like. I've met a lot of politicians to the right who I don't like. I've met a lot of politicians to the like to the left who I like. And I've met a lot of politicians to the left who I don't like. If you know people, you can make that judgment. But to win political office, do you have to have likability? No. Now what about when I'm trying to get a stadium? Everyone was so upset with that Billy Corbin ad that we did for Inter Miami. Everyone in Miami, people thought, oh my God, how could David do that? He got a ballpark in Miami and then started making a joke about what a bad deal it was for Miami. Ha, ha, ha. You knew that then. It was a bad deal for everybody because no one comes to the stadium. No one comes to the ballpark. But at the time, we both thought it was a good deal. But in order for me to get votes and the county commission, when I had to get nine out of 13 people to agree, they had to like me. I had to spend years when I moved to Florida, getting to know them, going to their events, being there for them, helping them, being reliable, having accountability, not flying in, you know, on a, on a private jet from New York saying, hi, I'm here, give me a ballpark. So many owners try to do that or presidents. You've got to be on the ground, boots on the ground, we used to call it. I went to churches, I went to synagogues, I went to job fairs. I went to district offices. The purpose of all that is I needed to be liked in order to perform. And what I was performing and who I was performing for was the owner. And my performance was based on getting a ballpark done. So it required an amount of likability. What about to the fans when you're president of a team? Nope. Likability doesn't matter. I'm not running for office. I'm running a business. Fans don't like me. I heard that a lot. We hate you, Samson. We're not going to games. I'd say, wait a minute, you're not going to a game with your son or your daughter and making a family lifetime memory because you don't like me and we've never even met? Because you don't like the fact that we traded Cliff Floyd or whoever we traded? 
Are you, are you, is that really what you're saying? And I would say that to people. Like that can't be your point of view, right? Liking me? What? You don't even know me. To be an effective president of a team, you do not need to be liked. What about today? What about today? On nothing personal. Where, what's your view of that? Do you listen to nothing personal? I've been thinking a lot about this actually, Coca. I was thinking about ranking traits that are required to have a successful podcast. There's 3 million podcasts. We are in the top quarter of 1% because of all of you. What are the traits required to have a successful show? Do you put likability first? Do you like me? Is it like Sally Field with the Oscars? You like me. You really, really like me. No, Sally, you were just really good in that movie. We can't stand being in the same room as you. I feel as though the reason you listen to nothing personal is that number one, we got to do a list, Coca. Top five reasons. This is off the cuff, not prepared. I'm doing it, Coca. Get the pen out. Top five reasons why you listen to nothing personal. Number one, you learn something every show that you did not know that you can apply in conversations with other people during the course of a day, week, month, or year. Number two, you are entertained from time to time during 45 minutes every single day. At some point during the show, you smile, you laugh, you look at me like I'm crazy. It's all entertainment, right? I'm here, let me entertain you. What, I don't know what Broadway musical that's from. It could be, um, no, it's not a chorus line. So educate, entertain. Three, relatability. When you're the president of a team, it's very hard to have high relatability. Now I agree that I'm extremely lucky, but relatability to me is that I'm willing to acknowledge when I make mistakes, I'm willing to acknowledge when I've had a point of view that's been wrong and that I'm willing to change my point of view. I'm willing to interact with all of you on Twitter, on Instagram, on the show, take your questions, call out your names. I'm willing to be corrected when I'm wrong. I am normal. I sit down to pee. That may not be normal for a guy. I had that conversation with someone actually. Anyway, I'm just David. That's really it. I had to play a part for 18 years. I'm now, as I'm getting older, I'm getting to know myself better. I like this version of me better. Relatability, number three. Four, time. That'd be my fourth reason why I think you like nothing personal. I think 45 minutes is a good sweet spot, though we are talking about doubling that and doing two podcasts a day, 45 minutes times two, but that's asking a lot to give you 10 shows a week. But man, we have to cut stuff every single show. Every show of nothing personal, there are subjects that do not make it that Coke and I are prepared to discuss. I haven't been writing this down, Coke, have you? Educate, entertain, relatability, time. And the fifth reason why I believe that you all like nothing personal is Coca. And the reason I put Coca at five is he's out there as this. He's the producer of the show. I've told you he's the best producer of any podcast. He work, we work together so well because we are so unbelievably opposite. We are, uh, he's 31. He looks at me like I'm a boomer, like an old man. I'm old enough to be his father. Well, 
that would require me to have had serious action as a young person. 41, 51, 23. Oh, I was in action at, at 23. So I could be his father. But really, he adds to the show because he knows what you want to hear. He talks to me about topics and thinks about things in a way that I can't because I have never been in his shoes. And his shoes are way different than my shoes. So we've got my shoes and his shoes. Put it all together. You got yourself a pretty cool show. What did I not put in there? Not even in the top five. Likeability. Because when you put that in a question and people, I don't blame you from Hong Kong saying likeability. I really don't. My view is that it's very overrated. When you are in business, I don't know, respect as the parent, entertainment, reliability, likability, nah. <sighs> okay. Coco, let's, let's go on to the next one. The 82-game preseason is in the books, and it's finally time for the real season. Don't miss out on any of the NBA playoff action at DraftKings Sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the NBA. From the play-in tournament through the finals, DraftKings Sportsbook has you covered with same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. From what you've seen so far, do you think they'll be a first-time winner of the NBA championship? If the Pacers, Clippers, Suns, Magic, Pelicans, or T-Wolves win, you win at plus 650. That's six teams to root for, Six chances to win. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SAMSON. New customers bet $5 and get $200 in bonus bets instantly. That's code SAMSON only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hi, David. Hi, how are you? Yesterday's pod, I don't know what day this was, because it clearly wasn't yesterday. This is a mailbag question. Got me thinking about the farm system management. Other than scouting and player development, what other key factors do presidents and GMs influence to build a strong farm system? Cheers, Jordan. Hey, Jordan. So let me, let me reframe that question a bit, if you don't mind. I mean, I normally wouldn't do that, but I just want to put it, make it slightly more clear. You're asking when we're building a farm system, right? And we want to make it good and get good players. Is there anything that we do other than scout the players and then develop them? Is that all it is that you go to high school games, you look at players, the scouts then get something called cross-checked Right, If a scout likes a player who wants to be, and the scout wants that player drafted, the scout then calls a cross-checker and says, hey, come cross-check me. It's like checking your math work. Come cross-check me. Watch him play. Do you like him? All right, now we're going to get the 
head of scouting to come see if it's a high draft pick or we're going to spend millions of dollars. Then the GM's going to see. Then we're going to get video to show the president and the owner. So there's a lot of people who are looking when a player is scouted. Then when you draft a player, that player actually goes on to one of your minor league teams, and that player is then coached. There's a hitting coach. There's a pitching coach for every level of minor leagues. But there's also a pitching coordinator in the minor leagues and a hitting coordinator and a fielding coordinator. And those are people who go up and down the system, stop everywhere in the minor leagues. They've got millions of Marriott points because they'll only stay at Marriott's. And they take their families away for free vacations the rest of their lives. They have so many points and so many miles because they're on the road like 250 a year. Those coordinators work with the coaches to make sure that you are instituting a game plan for each player to watch and help that player develop from a minor league player to a major league player. All of that is what all 30 teams do. There is not one difference. So what makes a farm system strong versus weak? I could cop out right now and just say, I know what it is. It's actually better players, better prospects, better drafting, better luck. Nope. The number one biggest differentiating point between a successful farm system and a failure of a farm system is the way that you implement your plan and communicate your plan. You hear all this crap about the Cardinal way and the Red Sox way and the Yankee way, like everyone's got a way. Guess what? All 30 teams have a way. The Cardinals didn't invent the Cardinal way. There's no special thing the Red Sox do. There's no special sauce. But the differentiating point is how well do people work together? How in tune and is the major league pitching coach with the minor league pitching coaches with the minor league pitching coordinator? How in tune are all of those with the head of player development? How in tune is the player development head with the GM? How does the GM work well with the president? Baseball is a sport. Not like that movie. What's that movie we watched, Coca? Oh, come on. The Adam Sandler movie. We just watched it like a month ago. It's, uh, I'm pretending I'm recording this today, which I'm not. It was the, um, oh, come on. It, it was, I didn't like it, and everyone said, how could you not like it? It was so good. Hustle. Thank you very much. It was called Hustle, where Adam Sandler was not liked by Ben Foster, who was the son of the owner, and somehow he was off there scouting on his own, and he brought in a player, and the team said, no, we're not even going to look at that player to be drafted. That doesn't happen in real life. That is total fantasy. What does happen is that you've got scouts who are out looking at players. They like a player. That player does not make it through the cross-checker, does not make it through the head of player development. That definitely happens. Doesn't make it through the head of scouting. But once a player makes it through and then is evaluated by the team, gets drafted, the scouting department hands over those players to player development. We had, in our years, one person in charge of player development and scouting. That is a bear of a job. But why did we combine those two departments? Because when they're separate, guess what happens in your organization when you've got a high draft pick where there's already a 50% chance of failure, but you have a high draft pick and that player fails? What do you think happens? Give me a C. 
Give me a Y. Give me an A. It is straight cover your ass time. The player development people go to the GM and the president when they're having dinner and say, my God, your scouts stink. Look at the crap they're giving us. Your head of scouting goes to the GM and the president and says, we gave you these great players and the player development people ruined them. They killed them. When you've got one man responsible or one woman or one child responsible for both departments, that fight doesn't get to the GM and to the president. Because if there is discord between player development and scouting, which exists in all these organizations, it is his job, her job, their job, I keep having to say that, to make sure there is a symbiotic relationship. Because if you've got that sort of poison going on, I don't care how good your prospects are, you are not going to have a good farm system. Let me tell you when else you're not going to have a good farm system. When you have a low payroll on the big league level. I cannot emphasize enough how little we care in the business about the farm system rankings. Baseball America, MLB.com, everyone's ranking everything because you all love that, right? Fans love that. Give me your top five this, top five that, top 100 this, rank this. I want to know what every team's worth. I want to know the highest, 10 highest paid players. Everyone likes a list because everyone likes a frame of reference, right? Where do you compare to that person? Well, all of these non-insiders, they claim they're insiders just because they want to get paid more by the company they work for, so they're called baseball insiders. Just pick whatever network. Pick Barstool or NBC or even CBS. Pick anything. Insider John Doe said that Aaron Judge will be signing for $280 million. What? You're not an insider? What does that mean? The only people inside are the people who work for teams. They're inside. And even half the people who work for teams are not really in the main room where it happens. They're sort of in the annex. There's very few people in the main room where these decisions happen. Insiders because there's leaks. Maybe that's why they're insiders. I guess so. Or they can guess what's going to happen. So they rank the farm systems. Miami Marlins, the number 28 ranked farm system. I could give a flying crap about that. You're right. Let's keep put JT Relamuto back down. Let's put Yelich back, back down. We'll put Hermita back down. We'll put Stanton back down. We'll keep them all in the minor leagues. We'll sign, a, you know, Tom, Dick, Larry, Moe, and Curly to the big leagues. And we'll have the top ranked farm system in a jiffy. No problem. You want your best players on the major league team. Now, you want a pipeline of players who are working through your system who can then get onto your major league team. So you want, it's like a conveyor belt. That is what we always told our guys. We want the conveyor belt. We're going to let guys go in free agency. We're going to bring a guy up from the minor leagues to replace him. Let another guy go and then bring another guy up. You want to try to produce one to two solid quality big leaguers per year. That sounds like it should be so easy. Do you have any idea how hard it is to do that? To get performing big leaguers one to two per year being called up for your team? Not easy. The majority of the baseball players are failing. That's just the way the game is. So the key factors that we are looking at to build a strong farm system is what our expectations are at the big, at the big league level. 
number one. Number two, what the relationships are down in the minor leagues with player development people, with scouting people, sort of who's doing what, when, and where. You'd be surprised, right? I bet when you asked that question that you thought there were key factors like what analytics are being used or who's got the best computers, the fastest processor. Don't let, please don't let your home team fool you. Oh, we've got the top analytics guys. We are writing code. We've got guys, what is it called, Coca, plugged in. We've got Mark Zuckerberg here and Andrew Garfield, and they are plugged in writing code. Justin Timberlake is standing on the outside looking in, playing music, and playing water volleyball with a bunch of hired people. Everyone's doing the same thing. Everyone's got the same code. Everyone's got the same everything. It matters where you draft. It matters who your scouts are. It matters how good your development is, and it matters what your payroll is. So now let's go full circle. What are the other key factors to building a strong farm system? Money. How great is that? That even that comes down to money. Do you know back 10 years ago, there weren't caps on where when you drafted a player, you could pay him whatever you wanted. So the Yankees and Dodgers and other teams were giving these international players and domestic players these ridiculous sums of money. Or if you had the number one pick in the draft and you were a bad team, you could go full. What was the name of the quarterback, Coca? Come on, come on, hurry up. The name of the quarterback who wouldn't play for a certain team so said, I'm going to draft you. Was it Elway or Eli Manning? I think there was another guy who did it too. Could it have been Elway also who got himself to the Broncos? Anyway, Eli Manning said, I'm not going to play for you, so you better not draft me. Baseball players do that all the time. The agents say, hey, we've got to deal with the, with the team drafting five, so you're drafting four. You better not take them. You know what I used to say when agents would say that? Shove it. Sit out a year. Go play in the California Penal League. You think we're going to let you go because you're claiming you want to play for the team who's drafting behind us? Forget about it. But now with slotting, basically you don't need an agent. Any of these college or high school players who hire agents, I'm very sorry to say this to all the agents who I know, some of whom I like, uh, they're slotting. Teams aren't going to give away draft picks. Coca's still upset. Do you know what's funny about Coca? He's such a Mets fan. He's sitting here while I'm in Africa. He's watching his Mets play. He's all jacked up. Best record. Thinking Subway Series. What, how great would it be to beat the Yankees? But he's also sort of a doomsday day guy, right? The glass half full kind of guy. He still talks to me about Kumar Rocker. Remember that guy's name? That was the guy who was drafted by the Mets and then not signed by the Mets and now is playing in the California Beer League and then could get drafted again because when he failed his physical. Do you know Kumar Rocker has a rule named after him, Coca, in the new collective bargaining agreement? That players have to subject themselves to MLB certified physicals pre-draft. Scott Boris was Kumar Rocker's agent, of course. Scott Boris would never let you do a physical on one of his players Screw that. You need to see your players. You need to get your hands on them before you're going to give them millions of dollars. Scott never wanted that. But if MLB gives an MLB certified physical to a player and you draft that player because you've seen the results of that physical, certified physical, you've got to pay that player. Even if he falls off a cliff, that player gets whatever the number is, Coca, 75% of the slot as a minimum. The Mets offered Kumar Rocker some tiny little signing bonus amount because they thought his elbow was going to fall off. 
So that no longer is going to happen. If, if you fail that MLB certified physical, you're not going to get drafted. Scott Boris, I can't wait to see what he does this year. Is he going to say to his players, you know, don't even bother doing that? He probably would do that. Anyway, so, Coca, don't worry about the Mets. All right. Do we have time for another? Come on. Is it? That's it. That was the fourth reason why you like us. Time. It's just business. We'll do another one of these. This is nothing personal.